Everybody, you are listening to Things Observed. I am your host, Luke Marshall, and today we are going to be possibly concluding our look into To the Stars Academy and Tom DeLonge, all the CIA and Pentagon connections to the group, and whether or not it's a psyop or not. Perhaps this will be two different episodes because I have to go out of town next weekend for a wedding, and if I can't think of anything else to put a show out there about, and depending upon how long this runs, I'll either not put out an episode next weekend, or I'll just break this up into two separate ones, so that way you guys can get a little taste of things observed each week. So, we'll see how all that works out. But anyways, yes, we are talking about Tom DeLong. We are talking about To The Stars Academy. And if you guys didn't listen to last week's episode, then I would encourage you to look into last week's episode before listening to this one, because we are going to be building off the things that we talked about last episode, and it'll probably be a little bit hard to follow 
this one if you had it already listened to it. But it's a nice day where I'm at in this undisclosed location from my secret bunker where I record this in a room that's filled with, you know, foil on all the walls and stuff so that way the elites can't target me with any kind of you know mind control devices or something like that so that's where I'm recording from but outside my handy dandy bunker it is raining outside it's a nice little rainy day I am kind of running out of time to record so I have to record right now before people get to my house and before I have to hang out with my girlfriend, have to hang out like it's some horrible thing before I get the opportunity to. But anyways, it's raining outside. The vibes are nice. And what better time to talk about to the Stars Academy. So, yeah, last episode we talked about some of the CIA, some of the Pentagon connections. We talked about, you know, all of that good stuff. And... Then, right after I put out this episode, I figured out that Subliminal Jihad, who is, you know, kind of in the whole sphere of podcasts that mine is uh, in, you know, the program to chill, Subliminal Jihad sphere. Most of you guys probably know about Subliminal Jihad, but I figured out that they did a podcast about this like two years ago when it was actually relevant. And so kind of feel like a dork now. I thought I was talking about this thing that none of these other cool guys have talked about. But turns out that there are cool guys who are more relevant than um, me as to when they decide to talk about this subject. Um, but anyhow, when I was listening to Subliminal Jihad, I did figure out a couple of things um, that I didn't mention. But one thing I will say is... Oh my goodness, my dog's barking now. Give me just a second, fellas. We are back. The package man came. The package woman came and delivered a package, and it really offended my dog's sensibilities. But anyways, just we'll cover real quick some of the things that I learned from Subliminal Jihad's episode that I did not mention. Um, But to be fair, I do think that I covered a lot of things that they didn't cover. Um just because, you know, some more time has passed and, and what have you. So I guess that my episode, you know, stands on its own. But anyways, I did learn a couple interesting thing f- things from those guys. So I'll just go ahead right up top and mention what I learned from their podcast. And go check it out. They also kind of just delve deeper into what they think the UFO phenomenon is in general and what have you. And it was an interesting listening. Um But anyways, um, one thing is I learned that, you know, we talked last episode about uh, Christopher Mellon, who is an heir to the Mellon fortune. And something that they mentioned that I hadn't heard of and that I thought was interesting is the Hitchcock estate in Millbrook, New York, was purchased by uh, the Hitchcock siblings who are heirs to the Mellon fortune. And they would let Timothy Leary, you know, the psychedelic guru live there for a time and you know do all of his weird psychedelic nonsense and you have all these other interesting characters um from the so-called counterculture like alan ginsburg ken kesey and the merry pranksters and all kinds of other people hang out there and so it's interesting to learn that uh heirs to the melon fortune have kind of been interested in some 
weird things for a while, and it doesn't just start with, you know, Christopher Mellon and his, uh, you know, interest in aliens or perhaps more like the, you know, CIA's interest in aliens, but I thought that was interesting. Um, I didn't learn this from Subliminal Jihad, but another thing that I figured out um, we talked a little bit last week about Jack Sarfati, you know, because he was at the Stanford Reach Research Institute, which we talked a lot about, all their looking into remote viewing and how a lot of people who are connected to the Stanford Research Institute are now involved with To The Stars Academy, people like Hal Putoff. Um, but we talked a little bit about Jack Sarfati and, you know, back to Timothy Leary and just this kind of circle of people. I found a clip on YouTube of Jack Sarfati talking to his friend Kim Burafato about Timothy Leary and G. Gordon Liddy, the FBI agent and like the talk show host who took part in the Watergate scandal. And so I'll just go ahead real quick and play this clip. And another interesting thing before I play the clip is that Jack Sarfati would actually stay with Timothy Leary in his house for in Hollywood Hills for a time. And I think that Timothy Leary would move out to Hollywood Hills after his time in Millbrook, New York, you know, at uh, the Hitchcock estate that we just talked about. So anyways, I'll play that clip really quick. Kim. Repeat the one you just All right, said. back. And Jack is losing his memory, so yes. I have to remind him of things that happened it. in the yeah. past. Yeah. In the it. 80s, our good friend Lance Carlson threw a lunch for me, Jack, and Timothy Leary, and I think Dave Mosier was there, and a few other people were there. And we had a lunch up at Lance's place. And Tim was in town doing his road show, traveling road show with G. Gordon Liddy, where they would go up on stage and debate each other. <laughs> And, and actually, they were good friends. They liked each other. And Tim would take one side, and G. Gordon Liddy would take the other side. And we had a lunch with Tim Leary. And Tim Leary said, Jack, space migration, intelligence amplification, and life extension, what they called the SMILE program, says you're the heir to the SMILE program. Mm -hmm. True story. Yeah, and I forgot all about it. <laughs> And now, the last thing that I'll mention that I learned from Subliminal Jihad's podcast, which it just astounded me that I hadn't figured out about this on my own. So shout out to those guys for finding this. This is an important find when we're talking about um, the Stanford Research Institute and Hal Putoff, who is one of the co-founders and is still very involved with To The Stars Academy. So I will go ahead and just mention this article that they um, found from the New Republic, and I'll just read a quote, and I think that they read pretty much the same portion of the article, but I will go ahead and read it here because it's very um, important when we're talking about the Stanford Research Institute and remote viewing, how put off, and some of these people who ended up becoming involved with To The Stars Academy. So once again, this article comes from the New Republic. If you just Google New Republic Tom DeLong, you'll find the article. And it says this. Much of their work performed at the Stanford Research Institute, the same place that made Siri on your phone, focused on the psychic abilities of mentalists like spoon-bending Yuri Geller, 
Geller was shown on multiple occasions to be a fraud, yet still somehow managed to secure steady streams of funding from oil and mining companies to act as a psychic dowsing rod. Nevertheless, Putoff and Targ's research into psychic abilities was well-funded, in no small part because of a former Nazi rocket scientist. I got the program started by showing Werner von Braun a mechanical ESP teaching machine at a conference on speculative technology, Targ said. After World War II ended and Operation Paperclip began, von Braun and several hundreds of his Teutonic brothers gave up all their Nazi beliefs and shifted seamlessly into the simple existence of American rocket scientists living in Alabama. Von Braun, who reportedly had a clairvoyant grandmother as well as a cozy relationship with the U.S. intelligence community, was prodigiously successful with the ESP, ESP game, Targ explained. He took me to meet a, the administrator of NASA, and that was the first money we got to start the program. So, what will you have it? The former Nazi, Werner Von Braun, um, helped start the, you know, ESP remote viewing type research. And that's how they helped to secure the initial funding was through Werner Von Braun. And I like how the uh, article says gave up all their Nazi beliefs. It's like, do we really know that they gave up all of their Nazi beliefs? Because uh, pretty much all the evidence points to the exact opposite. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know where they're coming from with, you know, they gave up all their former Nazi beliefs. Uh, but anyways... Pretty crazy. Can't believe that I didn't figure that out on my own. So shout out to the guys at Subliminal Jihad. Their episode on Tom DeLong and the alien phenomenon is a very interesting listen. And I would say that my views very much coincide with their views about how a lot of this is to, you know, cover up other government projects. And even kind of how they talk a little bit about the spiritual dimension about it, which we're going to get very heavily into that when we start talking about the book that Tom DeLonge and Peter Lavenda co-wrote with one another. But, oh, finally, I guess there is one more thing that is just a brief aside that I learned from the podcast from Subliminal Jihad, is that I learned that Bill Richardson, who was, you know, the Nevada governor, um, who was involved with all the Epstein stuff, the Epstein vin, uh, victim, Virginia Robert Jeffrey, um, said uh, that she was forced to have sex with Bill Richardson. Um, and he just happens to appear in the documentary that is in large part, you know, existed because of To the Stars Academy and features most all the To the Stars Academy guys t entitled The Phenomenon. So uh, very interesting that Bill Richardson makes an appearance in that. I think it was, you know, obviously before uh, the allegations came out against him. So um, anyways, you know, just another weird person along with Podesta and Putoff and, you know, Elizondo and, you know, just another person to add into the into the mix of people who have some sort of association with To The Stars Academy. The noon siren was just going off, so hopefully that didn't pick up on the mic too much and didn't distract from the listening experience. But, um, 
just another thing that I want to mention before we, you know, kind of get more into the subject of today's episode is that Mark Hoppus's dad worked for the Department of Defense building missiles and bombs for the town's Navy Testing Center. Um, and this was in the town of Ridgecrest, California, where Hoppus grew up, and it's adjacent to the Naval Air Weapons Station in China Lake. So, uh, you know, we've got Tom DeLong, whose dad's an oil company executive, and we've got Mark Hoppus's, whose dad worked for the Department of Defense. So kind of an interesting background for the two front men, um, the guys who formed the band Blink-182, and something that they uh, mentioned in the Subliminal Jihad podcast is, um, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but like Mark Hoppus like has this like bizarre quote where he's talking about how he was, you know, like on a plane uh, talking to uh, some high up military guy and he gave him his like very complex sophisticated idea as how to uh <laughs> how to capture Saddam Hussein that you know I don't know just very crazy when you hear Mark Hoppus give his idea as to how to do this it's like what does this pop punk rock star have like this very like sophisticated plan maybe he got it from his dad or something I don't know but Anyways, just some bizarre stuff. Another thing that I want to mention, and this is uh, more on topic with the dimension we're going to be talking about when it comes to To the Stars Today, because um, we're going to get into some of the uh, more esoteric occult aspects of um, To the Stars Academy and Tom DeLonge and, and Peter Lavenda and all of that, is that when Tom DeLonge left Blink-182 for the last time, he would be replaced by Matt Skiba, who has played in some other bands who I don't even know if I've ever heard of. And if I had heard them, I must have not cared too much for their music because they didn't um, have any impression on me. But Matt Skiba is a member of the Church of Satan. And uh, there's an interview with like Metal Wire, one of those types of magazines, where Matt Skiba is talking about what attracted him to the Church of Satan. And he would say, I love the art and the fashion and the aesthetic of the Church of Satan. That's what always drew me to it. I have a lot of books about black magic and demonology, and I err on the side of that being real. But I wasn't putting curses on people. So, um, you know, the Church of Satan, at least, you know, not among the uh, normies, perhaps among the higher you know members but you know they say that their rituals and stuff is all just psychodrama and that it's about you know kind of like harnessing your will and they're kind of like you know edgy atheists to you know use satan and all this different imagery as you know uh symbols of their you know rebellion or whatever but um it seems like what attracted matt skiba to you know become a member of the church of satan was more the aesthetic but I mean, he says here that he has a lot of books about black magic and demonology and, you know, kind of feels the need to be like, I'm not putting curses on people, which, you know, perhaps that's a thou doth protest too much kind of statement. But anyways, um, it's interesting that, you know, he's a member of the Church of Satan and he seems to actually believe in a spiritual dimension into the occult. And now what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to read a little bit from um, the To The Stars Academy website. Um, I'm going to read from an archived page 
of theirs um, where we can kind of uh, see some of the other things that To The Stars Academy is interested in along with UFO research and looking into the alien phenomenon and it's going to become important to us as we talk about what is written in the Secret Machines book. So let me pull this up real quick. All right, so here we are. And once again, this is an archived web page of To The Stars Academy. So this is not how their website reads right now. I believe that it says that I'm reading from October 12th of 2017. So you'd have to go look up the website from around then on the Wayback Machine. But there's a bunch of archived versions of the website. So you can go to the Wayback Machine, figure that out. Great research tool for those of you who don't know. So that way, um, you know, maybe if you've ever looked for something and you're like, where the hell did that go? Maybe check out the Wayback Machine. Maybe somebody has archived it and that juicy information is, you know, right there for you. And so... You know, it says like on their Who We Are page, To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science has mobilized a team of the most experienced, connected, and passionately curious minds from the U.S. intelligence community, including the CIA and Department of Defense, that have been operating under the shadows of top secrecy for decades. The team members all share a common thread of frustration and determination to disrupt the status quo. Blah, 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 blah. From your good friends at the CIA and the Department of Defense, the group that you can totally trust. Um, you know, and then it mentions how, you know, there's a former de Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, you know, former CIA guys, former Lockheed Martin Skunk Works guys, distinguished physicists like Hal Puthoff, geneticist, a molecular biologist, an award winning storyteller. But then. It goes on to talk about the company and their mission the, um, that is basically composed of three separate groups, their science division, their aerospace division, and their entertainment division. But we find that uh, some interesting things that you know most people might not immediately associate with the interest to the Stars Academy and that are kind of freaking sus. And so... Um, you know, it's saying that we have access to a global team of research scientists with advanced knowledge to pursue projects which include human ultra experience database, engineering space time metrics, brain computer interface, and telepathy. So this is under their science header. Um, on the human ultra experience database, it says develop a world of digital database cataloging different types of supernormal experiences with the goal of creating proprietary algorithms to find detailed patterns and correlate them with other academic research. Then under the brain-computer interface technology, it says explore new approaches for the use of sophisticated technologies to promote direct brain-to-computer interfaces. Then on engineering the space-time metric, it says develop next-generation aerospace propulsion technologies using a concept referred to as metric engineering, which uses advanced math modeling techniques providing a technology base to the aerospace division for future products. Telepathy. Explore the location in the brain where this phenomenon is centered and develop protocols for its enhancement and use. And then on the aerospace section 
Um, it says, our objectives for advanced engineering approaches to fundamental aerospace topics range from beamed energy propulsion to warp drive metrics. Our team seeks to develop next generation energy and propulsion concepts for transportation and spaceflight that could forever change movement across land, water, air, and space. Um, so under beamed energy propulsion launch systems, it says develop known methodology to launch small satellites into orbit using ground-based laser systems. And then advanced electrogravitic propulsion. Develop exotic aerospace technologies involving forward-thinking physics principles that complement present-day technologies with applications from new areas of research. Um, then it talks a little bit about the entertainment division and the Secret Machines franchise and how they've got, you know, uh, Poet Anderson, which is a dystopian young adult franchise based on a Stanford University study of how our dreams can prepare us for real lives events and, you know, some of the awards that these different, you know, projects, um, these entertainment projects have awarded which we've already covered a lot of that and so anyways it's very interesting to uh, take a look at you know some of these things that um, they're interested outside in which can relate to the UFO uh, extraterrestrial phenomenon in some way but some of them which uh, don't necessarily at first glance correlate with that and it's interesting how something like brain machine interfacing or you know uh, some of the stuff that is under their aerospace uh, division are things that could be used for um, enhanced weaponry and surveillance and stuff like that so it could almost make one wonder if maybe uh, to a certain extent that the uh, UFO aspect to this story is just a front for something more sinister. But honestly, at this point, I don't think that To the Stars Academy poses a great threat. And even though they have secured some, you know, military contracts and stuff, it's not for like crazy amounts of money and stuff like that. But uh, perhaps it does exist kind of in this realm to where uh, these intelligence uh, people can, you know, contract kind of weird fringe research that, you know, maybe they wouldn't be able to immediately secure funding for unless they were to dip into, you know, the black budget or her or whatever. But anyways, that's that's some speculation and stuff. But it's very interesting that this is all stuff that To The Stars Academy is interested in. And so now we will talk about, um, and some of what we just talked about from reading the archived webpage will factor into our discussion of what's to come so you know just kind of let that simmer on the back burner of your mind for a little bit but now we are going to talk about the secret machines uh, series not the fiction series but the nonfiction series so the secret machines book series the nonfiction one written by Tom DeLong and Peter Lavenda and most of you guys probably remember from last episode that uh, when Tom DeLong met with John Podesta, there's a picture of it, and Peter Lavenda is there as well. And most of you guys are probably uh, who travel in these circles are familiar with Peter Lavenda on some level. He is a good writer. He's written some very interesting books, primarily speaking about the Sinister Forces series, which are 
very good. They have a lot of valuable information in it, and it's pretty quality research. But Peter Lavenda himself is a very interesting character, to say the least. And if you guys are interested on that, I believe it's a Patreon-only episode, but Jimmy Fallon Gone has a very good conversation with Dr. Pig Bodine, who some of you guys probably follow on Twitter, where they talk about uh, Peter Lavenda. And they, uh, specifically, uh, they cover uh, his time as a, in high school to avoid the draft. Him and his friends started a fake schismatic church, kind of like... um, in the vein of like the Orthodox Church, which heavily offends me as an actually Orthodox person. You know, they like weren't in communion with any of the actual Orthodox churches and stuff like that. And it was a fake church. They just dress as bishops and whatnot. And uh, kind of ties into the whole wandering bishop thing, which you have people like David Ferry, who we talked about in our Mary's Monkey uh, episode, um, where you know, uh, he was himself a wandering bishop, and it seems to be kind of like a cover for people who are often involved in intelligence world, and there's just kind of this whole weird thing surrounding it, and uh, so some of you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with that. Once again, Jimmy Fallon Gong on Program to Jill has covered some of that stuff, Uh, so Uh, Very interesting to say the least, but the primary thing that they talk about in the Program to Chill episode about Peter Lavenda is how he is almost certainly, I mean we can't be 100% certain, but all the evidence points to Peter Lavenda being the author of the Simon Necronomicon, which, you know, the whole mythology behind it is that it's this ancient magical text or whatever but all the evidence points to it actually being written by peter lavenda under the pseudonym simon so i mean perhaps it wasn't peter lavenda but it was most likely peter lavenda who wrote that and we don't have time to cover here you know all the uh angles of you know what it is that the simon necronomicon talks about but anyways um And in the Sinister Forces series, it's all about the occult and American politics and its involvement with the intelligence agency and kind of the crossroads between intelligence agencies and the occult and the esoteric. So very interesting, and there's a lot of truth in those books, but you can't help but to wonder what Peter Lavenda is, you know, uh, kind of getting at. And also you can find in the Program to Chill episode that talks about Lavenda things that heavily suggest that he is, um, or maybe not, I shouldn't say heavily, but can suggest to some level that he is involved with intelligence perhaps and uh, just kind of his of involvement with the occult and how he kind of traveled in some pretty weird circles throughout his life if he is indeed the author of the Simon Necronomicon. So I won't spoil any of that stuff for you really in case you want to go listen to that episode of Program to Chill, which I heavily suggest that you do. It's very interesting, but there's just a tiny bit of background about Peter Lavenda, but I bet a lot of you guys already know a lot of of the stuff that I'm not going to discuss about Peter Lavenda. So uh, 
It's very interesting that he is writing these Secret Machines book with Tom DeLonge. And the Secret Machines series, the nonfiction one, it's going to be a three-part series, but so far only the first two books have been written. And the first one covers gods, the second one covers man, and the third book in the series is going to cover war. And I'm kind of disappointed that the third one is not out as of yet because um, a lot of the stuff that's you know going to have to do with um, intelligence agencies and the UFO phenomenon stuff that I think would have been ripe for our discussion and it would be very interesting to see where uh, mainly Peter Lavenda but I guess also Tom DeLonge um, falls um, into their thoughts about what's going on with the intelligence agency involvement but there's still some things that we can gather from there but the first thing that I'll say is very interesting about the Secret Machines book is that the foreword is written by Jacques Vallée, um, who is described by the current high priest of the Satanic Church, Peter H. Gilmore, uh, who's like this weirdo who has Aquino-ass eyebrows, you know, that weird thing where people who get into a certain level of the occult feel the need to like do the weird horned eyebrows thing that just looks absolutely disgusting and is maybe the quickest thing to set off my sus radar but um peter gilmore peter h gilmore would describe valet as an associate of anton levey and so that's very interesting anton levey and jacques valet were friends of one another and i also found this other thing where it's like jacques valet would take his daughter over to anton levey's house to play like donkey kong over there and stuff so you know we've got jacques valet who's connected to anton levey and what valet is mostly known for though is i mean he is one of the most prominent figures in all of ufology um but he started off as a computer scientist and he would help develop the ARPANET and where else would he work but the Stanford Research Institute so yet we have another guy who is in this whole TTSA circle he's writing the forward for the first secret machines book Jacques Vallée and he would help develop the ARPANET he would work at SRI International and we are in the book you know kind of led to believe that through SSRI and you know what we are you know told is a happenstance friendship with Harold Putoff and CIA analyst Kit Green or Christopher Kit Green, um, and so who is Kit Green? Well, Kit Green is a very interesting character. He's actually mentioned in the second entry in the Secret Machine series in relation to the UFO incident at Rendlesham Forest in Suffolk, England. And the incident took place at the former Royal Air Force Base, but the base was then being used by the United States Air Force. And prior to reading the excerpt from the book, it's important to understand that he is a forensic neuroimaging expert, and even more importantly, that he spent 20 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, starting in the 60s before going to work for General Motors. And, uh, you know, the 60s is a very interesting time to be involved with the CIA. 
And I've seen it reported that he was in a biomedical research department, um, that in the biomedical research department. And I also saw it reported, but I could not confirm this, that he had taken a meeting with Igor Smirnov, who was a you know Soviet mind control researcher, who I can confirm that this Igor Smirnov guy is an interesting character in his own right. And he met with FBI counter-terrorist experts in Virginia, um, you know, consulting them about what to do with the Branch Davidians, and he suggested implanting subliminal messages during the whole Waco fiasco. Um, and he like worked in this like dungeon-like lab doing MK Ultra shit on cancer patients and schizophrenics and drug addicts. And when he stopped receiving funding from the Soviet government, he started to turn towards the West, looking for investment for all of his wacky experiments so anyways there is a someone who kit green is involved with and also i was thinking about perhaps starting the episode with an audio clip from this documentary that i think kind of parallels the uh, whole tom DeLong story but a very good documentary is called mirage men and mirage men is most certainly uh yeah, just a very interesting story. And what Mirage Men talks about is um, it basically follows the story of Richard Doty. And uh, Richard Doty was a um, special agent at the Air Force Office of Special Investigations at Kirkland Air Force Base. Kirkland Air Force Base, excuse me. And Richard Doty, what he would do is he would basically psyop into oblivion this guy named Paul Benowitz. So this Paul Benowitz guy had a company called Thunder Scientific Corporation, and he designed things for NASA and you know for other government agencies. And he started to pick up kind of these like weird transmissions and after seeing some weird flying objects um, around Kirtland Air Force Base. And he was a very patriotic American. I believe that he was a veteran. And he was much too trusting of the government. So when he saw these strange flying objects and started to receive these transmissions and, and all of this, he went to the Air Force to tell them what he had seen. And this Richard Doty guy gets involved. And his whole job is to be a disinformation agent. So he starts telling him that all the stuff that he's seeing is extraterrestrial and you've got to keep, you know, a closed mouth about this. And he would just lie and lie and lie to this guy, you know, saying that they have recovered UFO aircraft and aliens and, and all this stuff. And eventually he would drive him completely insane. And so it's a very compelling documentary, and you can perhaps see some overlap with the Tom DeLonge uh, series. I know the Subliminal Jihad guys made that uh, kind of parallel themselves, and I've seen a couple other people make it. But anyways, if you just want a good documentary about the whole UFO phenomenon, it's Mirage Men. And Christopher Green appears in Mirage Men, and he has some interesting things to say in it. So also, you can uh, put a face to who Christopher Green is. But, you know, so we've got Christopher Green, who is this uh, CIA guy. And, of course, you know, he's still somewhat wrapped up in the world of intelligence, and that's assuming that he ever left. 
Um, he wrote a, per a paper for Earth Tech International, which is, uh, you know, the whole how put off thing, which was commissioned by the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Applications Program overseen by the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency. And he, you know, wrote this paper for Earth Tech. He's in this whole sphere of To the Stars Academy. He's mentioned in the Secret Machines book. Um, and when talking to the Daily Mail, he would describe the symptoms of people who come into contact with UFOs as similar as that of Havana Syndrome, which that's just a whole thing that we don't even have time to get into right now. But also just saying that people who come into, uh, come into contact with UFOs sometimes have brain damage and suffer dash, death. And he would also say to the Daily Mail that he was the go-to physician for the Department of Defense when it came to unexplained morbidity and mortality. And interestingly, in the Daily Mail interview, Green acknowledges that all of the injuries he has studied could be caused by current technology, such as microwave and radio frequency weapons that have been developed by the U.S. and by other governments across the world. So it's kind of a, an interesting thing for him to say in that, you know, like, I think it's aliens, but also, like, all of this shit can be explained by, you know, technology that is on the books. And that's not to say all the secret weaponry and stuff that the U.S. has that you know, you and me aren't privy to. Um, so in Secret Machines, man, here is a segment that I will read that is about, you know, involves Christopher Green, and it's about the Rendlesham Forest case, which is a very uh, famous case in modern UFO accounts. The bare facts of the case are that on the night of December 26th, 1980, what appeared at first to be either a fireball or a downed aircraft was spotted by a security patrol in Rendlesham Forest near the east gate of Royal Air Force, Air Force Woodbridge, a base that was being used by the United States Air Force at the time. John Burroughs provided an account of the sighting, in which he and two fellow servicemen followed by what they thought was a light from a downed aircraft. There was a lighthouse with a bright beacon in the vicinity, and this was the fact that was seized upon by the skeptics, who suggested that all the lights seen by servicemen at Rendlesham Forest were explicable as a lighthouse beacon or as lights from a neighboring farmhouse, etc. That explanation does not account for the reason why the servicemen were scouring the forest for what they thought might be a downed aircraft in the first place. Nor does the existence of other lights in the vicinity account for all the lights that were observed at the time. For instance, should a UFO land in New York City, one could account for some of the lights as coming from virtually any building in the city, but that would not account for the sighting of a UFO in the first place. Burroughs was told to wait a little distance from what they believed to be the crash site and act as a radio relay back to base. But fear and curiosity took over him, and he followed the two other airmen. Penniston and Cannon's cabin sag who went deeper into the forest to investigate Penniston saw what he assumed to be a craft sitting in the woods approached it and actually touched the surface of it burroughs saw it and made sketches of it it was in this proximity to the object that caused a rare medical condition in burroughs according to dr christopher kit green a multi-credentialed medical doctor scientist specialist in psychiatry and radiology as well in behavior and neuroscience including remote viewing and a former analyst for the central intelligence agency and assistant national intelligence officer for science and technology among other positions 
John Burroughs was suffering the effect of something called broadband non-ionizing electromagnetic radiation, such as that found in radio waves, thermal radiation, and light from different ends of the spectrum, such as infrared and ultraviolet. This type of radiation can cause burns and inflammation in living tissue. According to statements made by Dr. Green, the government's medical files on Burroughs were classified for a long period. Even though Green himself had top-secret clearances for most of his life, he could not gain access to the Burroughs medical file. This is very unusual, and again, according to Green, the only medical files he knows that were ever classified that were that high were the autopsy of President John F. Kennedy and the medical records of Adolf Hitler, putting AFC John Burroughs in a very rare in very rare company. Reasons given included the fact that Burroughs' file contained multiple references to special access programs and other matters that were similarly, similarly classified, making the de declassification process a rat's, net, a rat's nest of interlocking classification protocols. With a major push by several senators, however, the files or their salient details were eventually released. The story they told was combined with Green's analysis of Burroughs' symptoms, including damage to his heart. And it was astonishing. It offered clear evidence that something very unusual had happened to Burroughs, and as Green's investigation into this type of condition and other patients continued, seemed consistent with injuries suffered by other military personnel for whom there had been no previous diagnosis that made any sense. Partnering with Dr. Gary Nolan, a world-famous specialist in genetics research and today a member of Tom DeLonge's team at To The Stars Academy, the two men came to agree that these patients had been exposed to electromagnetic radiation. And so, anyways, there's a segment from the Secret Machines book that talks about Kit Green and what we are led to believe is his, you know, role in the whole kind of UFO community as this person who is an expert in the effects of UFOs on people physically. And, um, but, I mean... He's a CIA guy, and, you know, once a CIA guy, kind of always a CIA guy. And how can we trust the CIA with any of this information? I mean, something that's even just, like, ironic as a whole when it comes to the whole To The Stars Academy narrative is that, you know... We've been lied to by the intelligence agencies. They're the ones who have all the access to this information and who haven't been telling the American public what's going on. But now we're supposed to trust Tom DeLong, who is surrounded by all these different figures. And it's kind of just this weird shift in the UFO community where the UFO community, the alien community, seem to be a lot more skeptical of the government. And they, you know, would acknowledge that whatever you think of the phenomenon, that it's the government who has been the ones who have been covering things up all along the way. And now we are supposed to eat out of their hand because uh, the former Blink-182 frontman is telling us to doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And we will get a little bit... Um, towards the end of this episode or perhaps series of episodes because once again you know i'm not going to be able to make a podcast next week so perhaps i'll make this a two-parter but anyhow there's a little bit about christopher green who is someone who is very interesting and so now we will continue to talk about some people who are mentioned um 
in the Secret Machines books. Um, and then we will kind of get into the whole message of the Secret Machines books, or at least the two that have been written as of the moment. But another very, very interesting person to be interviewed for the Secret Mach Machine series is Whitley Strieber. So many of you guys, I'm sure, have heard of Whitley Strieber. He is very famous. Um, but for those of you who don't know who Whitley Strieber is, he is a abductee, or at least he claims to be an abductee. And he's not really sure if it was aliens, if it was some sort of like MK Ultra type thing, perhaps, or if it was like some sort of weird spiritual experience. And um, he's someone who's kind of very confusing when you look into his, you know, purported story of abduction and i'm actually considering pretty strongly doing my next episode uh, on him because it is getting close to october and i think that the whitley streber would be a, a good one to do for halloween because you know i mean uh, the communion book is kind of like a a horror story and uh also, they made an actual movie out of it starring Christopher Walken um, about, you know, the story that he claims happened in Communion. And there's a whole lot of interesting things that could be uh, said about Whitley Strieber. But we will just cover him um, a little bit very briefly just because it's uh, very interesting. But haven't decided with certainty yet, but maybe that is, uh, maybe I'll keep this whole UFO alien train going by talking about Whitley Streep our next episode um, and whip out my old copy of communion that I got when I was like I don't know 16 years old and gonna see what I thought about the whole alien deal um, but something that's important to note is that uh, so yeah he is mentioned in the secret machines book is being interviewed but he was also interviewed earlier I don't know if this is the interview that Lavinda is mentioning but he was also written about in the third book in the sinister forces series by Peter Lavinda and uh, also just gives us kind of an idea of you know, some of the susness that goes around just this whole abduction alien phenomenon. But he grew up in San Antonio, which uh, is a city with three different Air Force bases at the time that I believe that were all in relatively close proximity to Whitley Streeper. Specifically speaking, he was very close to Randolph Air Force Base. And those three Air Force bases, I think since then, have um, joined together and are like now a joint base and have taken on a different name. But what's interesting about the Randolph Air Force Base is that there was a lot of Nazi scientists who were brought over, um, you know, after the war, Operation Paperclip type stuff, who made their way to Randolph Air Force Base. And one of them was a guy named Dr. Hubertus Struggled. Um, and he, uh, you know, I mean, he should have been sensed at Nuremberg or caught a bullet or whatever, but he wasn't. And he was rescued by American military scientists um, and they were eager to put him to work in the field of aviation medicine. And, you know, at Rare Force 
at Randolph Air Force Base, you know, it kind of became uh, what Lavinda describes as a sanctuary for scientists who were used to experiment on living human subjects. This type of experimentation was not limited to testing the limits of physical endurance at zero G, but also included psychological and neurological testing. Hallucinations are a natural part of isolation of a high altitude pilot due to the sensory deprivation and lack of oxygen, blah, 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 blah. But anyways, so it's very interesting that Randolph Air Force Base is just down the block from Whitley Strieber. And Lavinda also writes, In Whitley Strieber's communications with me, he expressed a suspicion that perhaps he himself had been a test subject at Randolph. He mentioned Dr. Struggled by name and also a mysterious Dr. Antonio Krauss, who I have so far been unable to identify but who figures strongly in Strieber's memories as related to me and on his website. What Whitley Strieber describes, the involvement of Nazi scientists Hubert struggled in the experimentation program is not beyond the realm of possibility. That Randolph Air Force Base would have been chosen as the site of this activity is logical, as is at the Center for Aviation Medicine Research, a broad category that included virtually anything to do with neurological, biological, and psychological testing. It was also close to the Strieber home in San Antonio, Texas. And there's also another thing that is awfully interesting about Whitley Strieber. And can you guess what it is? I'm too lazy to edit in the Jeopardy audio and figure out where it is that I'm talking about it in the podcast. But I'll just go ahead and do it for you for a second. Do, 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 Did you get it? Well, if you guess that he was involved in a secret school, something that's like kind of along the whole gifted child uh, line of thought, then you would be correct. And once again, I feel like every episode I mentioned Jimmy Fallon Gong and Program to Chill multiple times, but he's covered that to a large extent. So you can find him talking about, you know, these whole special kids and stuff, especially his episode talking about Walter Breen and Jack Sarfati. And we talked about Jack Sarfati last episode um and there's actually a number of parallels when you really think about it between jack sarfati and whitley streber and this is something that even lavinda points out in the third book in the sinister forces series um they are both guys who you know claim to go to some sort of secret school or school for gifted children and they both you know had made contact with aliens or at least they believe that they did or something that presented itself as an alien at the very least and they would both get interested into all of this whole you know issue surrounding the phenomenon later in life and uh, also something that i don't even think lavinda mentions is both whitley streber and jack sarfati kind of get into like I mean, I guess with Jack Sarfati, it's kind of more under the guise of, like, fringe physics and stuff. But kind of, like, weird, spiritual, almost kind of, like, countercultural, hippy-dippy stuff in their personal lives. But anyways, uh, Lavinda writes in Sinister Forces, the third book, um, about uh, Whitley Strieber and the school. Many children in those days were tested for intelligence, and some were selected for further tests. 
We have only bits and information about these programs available to us now, some only on the basis of personal testimony. The memories recorded by Whitley Strieber of his childhood encounters with the visitors at the secret school hidden within San Antonio's Almost Basin may be, he admits, screen memories of actual psychological testing that was done on behalf of American intelligence and conducted by Nazi doctors at Randolph Air Force Base. Tests that could have included hallucinogenic drugs such as LSD and psilocybin. We know that such testing was done on children, for instance, at Creedmoor in the 1960s. We do not know how much drug testing was done by the military at this time. Although, we do know that such men as Andrija Prorik were conducting all sorts of psychological and chemical tests on behalf of the U.S. Army in the 1950s. We also know at that same time, the CIA was not above dosing its own employees and contractors with LSD and other substances without their knowledge, as the Frank Olson tragedy clearly demonstrates. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, certainly very interesting. And the last thing I'll say about Whitley Strieber, because he, uh, I imagine that he's going to factor more into the third book in the series, but... He's, you know, not a huge part of uh, the uh, Secret Machines book, but I thought that it was just something interesting and worth listening. Maybe I'll do a whole episode about it, but just another thing that will kind of rattle your brain and, you know, further uh, send you down the path of schizophrenia, if you're like me, is that both Sarfati and Streber... You know, they were super kids. Um, oh, already covered that. Just taking a look at my notes, and I'm at the wrong pl place. But also, um, something that's interested about Streber is the fact that he had contact with the Process Church of the Final Judgment. You hear that right. Um, he was in London in the year of 1968, which, as Lavinda points out, was a particularly volatile time for the Process Church. You know, this was the year that the Manson family member, Bruce Davis, was known to have gone to the headquarters in London, which is where Streber went. Um, it's when Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski were in London. Um, and it's, you know, the spring of 68 when Sirhan Sirhan and Naomi Judge would at different times visit the Theosophical Society headquarters in Los Angeles. And, it, you know, the process would move out to... California after their time in London, um, all kinds of very interesting, interesting stuff. But perhaps we will uh, talk about all this at another date. But also at the end of this quote of Lavinda talking about um, Streber and you know being involved with the Process Church, he mentioned that Bobby Kennedy was assassinated a day or two earlier. Um, to maybe it was oh never mind i'm getting it wrong but he mentions the bobby kennedy assassination it's just kind of funny considering that like if i remember correctly from the program to chill episode he like in his fake bishop buddy like you know dressed as like bishops it like snuck into the bobby kennedy funeral so i don't know that's very interesting but now we've talked about some of the uh, other connections that I figured out about through reading the Secret Machines books and, you know, people like 
Christopher Green, who's another intelligence agency guy, uh, Jacques Vallée, who was involved with uh, the Stanford Research Institute, which we covered in more depth last episode, and Whitley Strieber, who is someone who has uh, been talking with Lavinda. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I only listened to a little bit of it. But Peter Lavinda and Whitley Strieber did a podcast with one another. He uh, Lavinda went on Strieber's podcast, and he's just another person who kind of finds his way on some level into the orbit of all these To The Star Academies uh, people. And it seems like you can't find one person in the whole fucking alien community who is uh, just not a weirdo with some sort of weird connections, uh, whether it be to some sort of intelligence agency or cult or the satanic church. I mean, you can't turn a stone in this subject without finding some absolute bizarro freak. But anyways, um, now let's discuss the Secret Machines books as far as not who's mentioned in them and people who were involved with the writing of the book in some way, but let's talk about what the books are getting at. And before we, I know I keep like prefacing it, before we talk about what is talked about in the Secret Machines book series, but I mean, really, if you want to have just like a deeper understanding of how just crazy all the stuff that is talked about in this book is in relation to Peter Lavenda and some of his beliefs, go listen to the Patreon episode of Program to Chill that was released about a month ago that is about Peter Lavenda and the Necronomicon and whether or not he's Simon and in it you know uh, Jimmy Fallon Gong's kind of operating under you know the idea that Peter Lavenda is you know allegedly uh, Simon who wrote the Necronomicon and he talks about a book that Simon also wrote and that's talking about how the Necronomicon came to be and just kind of some things in the life of Simon that give you a look into allegedly Lavenda on a deeper level. Everything here is alleged, folks. Um, but, uh, man, I didn't expect Alex Jones to come on the show today, but there you go. Um, But it'll give you a much deeper understanding of what it is that I'm going to be getting into here in just a second. But in the episode, um, him and Dr. Pigpodine talk about uh, the witch wars, which is very funny. Um, But just kind of how during the time that, you know, Simon was involved with all of this, how... uh, you know, there's all these new groups that were kind of coming into the occult scene. Specifically, he mentions the Church of Satan, the Process Church of the Final Judgment, and Scientology, which, wow, what an interesting group. And we've already mentioned all of those today. You have Jacques Vallée, who has some sort of connection to the Church of Satan. You have the Process Church, which... You know, Whitley Strieber has some sort of connection with. And you have Scientology and how put off was, well, you know, like the second highest level of Scientologist uh, clearance that you can even become. And so it's very interesting that they all, these different groups kind of work their way in uh, 
to it, but, you know, Simon, you know, claims that, you know, he's not really into all these groups, uh, you know, and that they were kind of scary to him or annoying to him or something along those lines. Um, but, um, and also the most important thing to our series is Jimmy Fallon Gong goes into something that's going to be very, very important to what we talk about. And most everyone has heard of the, uh, in this circle of people anyway, has heard of the idea that aliens are demons. Definitely an idea that I am uh, somewhat partial to. I'd say that I would tend to focus more on the aspect of how uh, aliens and UFO stories are used to cover up, you know, secret government stuff, which has basically been the whole theme of the past episodes. But also, I do think that there is something to that theory. But what is very interesting is that Lavenda kind of flips that whole idea on its head. And instead of aliens being demons, the idea that demons are aliens and if you read the first book in the secret machine story which is what i'm about to talk about before we talk a little bit about the second book in this series is just you know all the gods all the spirits all all of this is kind of pointing back to aliens in the eyes of peter lavenda and tom DeLong. But they go about it in a very interesting way because many of you have are probably familiar on some level with the ancient astronaut theory, uh, which is you know the idea that all of that there was some sort of advanced civilization most likely, and that UFOs were involved with that, and the Anunnaki and the Nephilim and all these different things that are talked about. Um, by various religions are actually aliens and that the human race was created by aliens as kind of like a hybrid species like they did some sort of genetic modification with lower hominids in order to create humans and that's probably why there's the list missing link bro i feel like i need to be smoking weed in a room with joe rogan in order to properly even talk about all of this but i don't smoke weed and i don't know joe rogan so i guess that's not going to be happening but anyhow um so that's, you know, kind of like the ancient astronaut theory in a nutshell. And it's been popularized, you know, mainly by ancient aliens on the History Channel. But you also have very popular books going back, like Chariots of the Gods by Eric Von Daniken. Um, you have Zechariah Sitchin, who is another guy who really popularized these ideas. But Lavenda... And I guess DeLong too, but I mean, I really think Lavenda is the main guy who we can attribute the nonfiction Secret Machines book to. I'm not even going to preface it with nonfiction anymore. If I'm talking about Secret Machines, I'm only talking about the nonfiction books at this point because I didn't bother to read the fiction books. Um, but, you know, Lavenda approaches this subject in a much more thoughtful way because if there's one thing that you can say about Lavenda, it's that he's a smart guy and he has a very interesting way of presenting information and you never feel like he's presenting to you everything that he knows. 
I've never really caught him in like a deliberate lie. I haven't, you know, ever read anything of him and it seems like, you know, a blatant like lie that he put in it. But everything's like some kind of subtle level of like he's letting you in on what he wants to let you in on. And his research is solid and I figured out a lot of um, very interesting things from like the Sinister Forces books. I would recommend that people read those books if you're interested in these kinds of subjects. But yeah, I mean, he's kind of like operating like I feel like I'm playing checkers and Lavinda is playing, uh, you know, chess and I can never really figure out what his purpose is in bringing up these things. So yeah, listen to the Jimmy Fallon Gong episode to, you know, kind of get into his uh, backstory a little bit, specifically relating to the Simon Necronomicon. But he also talks about and, you know, develops this idea that, you know, Lavenda is saying not that the aliens are demons, but that the demons are aliens. And so when we read the Secret Machines book, uh, it is referencing what is going on always as the phenomenon. And imagine a Venn diagram. And on the left side, you have the other world. And on the right side, you have this world. And in the middle of this Venn diagram, you have the, the phenomenon. And that is what Lavenda puts forth in this book. That the phenomenon is something that hasn't been properly researched by people because you basically have the scientists who are only focusing on the you know right side of the Venn diagram and then you have the religious folk who are kind of only honing in on the left side of this Venn diagram but the phenomenon is something that kind of breaks through the veil from the other world into this world and it exists in between there somewhere and in order to have this holistic understanding of it you have to kind of take both sides into account and you have to dwell in that middle ground and when he is talking in the book secret machines gods um, he doesn't go about advocating the idea that the gods are aliens and that this is like you know some sort of primitive way of you know explaining that that were you know a race made by the anunnaki to mine gold he doesn't get so far-fetched with it it's a much a lot more subtle and a lot more thoughtful in that he kind of proposes that the ideas of different religions are using the technology of their day the religious technology to explain what was going on and today, we try to explain the phenomenon with our current technology, kind of from this materialist perspective, but that you have to kind of exist in this middle ground in order to properly understand the phenomenon, because the phenomenon is something that exists in between this world and the other world, and it kind of touches in to both of those. And so... Just on this note, I will read a quote from uh, Secret Machines Gods. They have it wrong, the ancient astronauts theorist, and the experiencers and the abductees. Ezekiel's chariot was not a flying saucer. That's projecting our current experience backwards into time, stretching to make the details fit like the elastic waistband on a cheap suit. Flying saucers, triangular craft, cigar-shaped craft, lights in the sky... They are Ezekiel's chariot projected forward into the present. 
Every generation will interpret biblical phenomenon according to their own lights, their own technologies, desperate to make science and religion match up in a nice, neat existential package. We all want to say, see, the Bible's based on truth, but it won't work. It never does. What is happening is not confined to either side of the great binary system of science and religion, or fact and fantasy, or normal and paranormal. The paranormal is infused in the normal. It's inextricable. It's the engine of creation, of reproduction, of sex, and of love, and the light at the end of our tunnel vision. It's saying, see, science is based on truth. To understand the phenomenon is to grasp the adivada, the non-duality of modern experience. A, new, a non-duality that encompasses more than being and non-being, of God and not God, but of war and peace, of mind and matter, of flesh and spirit, of aliens and men. This is the temporary insanity of which Max Muller wrote so long ago. And so that kind of gives you a little bit of a window into, uh, you know, how the phenomenon is approached. So it's not doing this simplistic thing that the ancient alien series on the History Channel is doing, where it's like, there's no way humans could have built the pyramids, bro. It was aliens. It's it's not something as simple as that. It's a lot more sophisticated line of argumentation that Lavenda does. And when you read the book, it almost reads more like a, instead of a UFO book or a paranormal book, it almost reads more like a comparative religion book. Um, it's like Joseph Campbell plus aliens. It's like perennialism plus aliens with like a bit of an occult flair to it. But, you know, now we kind of know where Lavenda is coming from with all this stuff. But now let's dive into the more occult Gnostic aspect to the stories. And um, this next uh, series of quotes that I'm going to read is pretty long. It's like a couple of pages. So bear with me. I will try to not stumble over my words, which I have seemed prone to do today. But after we read this long-ass quote, um, we will kind of break it down and talk about it a little bit. In 1945, towards the end of World War II, a cache of ancient documents was discovered in Egypt, known as the Nag Hammadi Scrolls. These represent some of the earliest examples of Gnostic writings. The Gnostics were a mystical sect that combined elements of Judaism, Christianity, and other religious and spiritual traditions, including Egyptian, into a single belief system that characterized the world as a battleground between the forces of light and darkness. This spiritual conflict has taken place within every human being, as humans are made of both matter and spirit. It was the goal of Gnostic practice to separate the spiritual part of humanity and have it return to the heavens. Their interpretation of biblical literature was consistent with this belief. As we saw at the beginning of this book, to the Gnostics, the serpent in the Garden of Eden was God, and the being that told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge was the Demiurge a being who had usurped God's role in creation. The Gnostics valued spiritual knowledge above all other kinds, hence the name by which they were known. The Greek word gnosis means knowledge. To the Gnostics, God, the true transcendent deity of light, was an alien god. The cosmos was the realm of darkness, 
and humanity was in chains. The deity is absolutely transmundane, in nature alien to that of the universe, which it neither created nor governs, and to which is the complete antithesis, to the divine realm of light, self-contained and remote. The cosmos is opposed as the realm of darkness. The universe is like a vast prison whose innermost dungeon is the earth, the scene of man's life. This is the philosophical basis for Manichaeistic duality, which, as we have seen, used the Book of Enoch and the Book of Giants as inspiration, books that were eventually discovered among the Dead Sea Scrolls in 47. Taken together, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Nag Hammadi text shine, by a, a, shine a light on Gnostic and early Christian and Second Temple Jewish beliefs and doctrines, but they also represent ideas that were current in the Near East centuries earlier. The Book of Giants even mentions Gilgamesh, the hero of the Sumerian and the Akkadian epic poems, and reprises the biblical story of the sons of gods and the daughters of men, but with more detail, including allusions to giants having bad dreams and asking Enoch to interpret them. This document, heavily fragmented, also mentions that angels were engaging in sexual intercourse with human women and also with animals, that in the process they begot giants and monsters. It is interesting to speculate that this may be in an attempt to explain paintings, statues, and bas-reliefs of Egypt and Mesopotamia depicting half-human, half-animal creatures, such as animal-headed gods of Egypt or the Apkalu of Mesopotamia. And now... I'm going to read another quote that is a little bit lengthy um, from the book. But before I do that, it's very interesting to note that, uh, you know, Gnosticism is a topic that I could do a long, long series of shows about. Um, and it's a very complicated subject to broach because it's not one thing. Like with something like the Catholic Church, they have a very concrete doctrine where um, you can point to it and you can very easily say what it is and what it isn't. Um, and I'm not saying that Protestantism is Gnosticism here. But what I am saying is that Gnosticism is something that is a little bit harder to pin down because just kind of like how the Protestants... There's so many different churches and denominations, and most of them, you know, don't have a, a central authority or a doctrine that they rigorously adhere to. And, you know, even among different Baptists or among different whatever, you're going to have a, a wide range of belief. And that is somewhat true of Gnosticism. I mean, there are definitely ideas that are... Um, held in common by all the Gnostics, primarily that the realm of matter is a, a prison, you know, like the dungeon that Lavinda talks about. Um, and the idea that, you know, the spirit is, you know, higher than the matter and kind of this ugly view, which uh, I don't think is the proper Christian view um, or really a healthy view of things where the material is inherently bad. Um, and that the spirit is necessarily inherently good always. Um, and that, uh, and, and then another idea that they, you know, all Gnostics kind of have in common is yes, the idea of Gnosis, this almost kind of divinization of knowledge, specifically secret knowledge that one is trying to achieve. But there are, you know, 
and also the idea of the demiurge, that kind of uh, whoever, you know, created, like if you're looking at it from a biblical lens, you know, the uh, gods that most Christian, the God that most Christians worship is like uh, the the creator God. But in Gnosticism, the creator God um, is, is not the good God. He exists underneath the true transcendent God. But what is interesting is that when Lavenda describes Gnosticism, he kind of takes the most luciferian i would say interpretation of gnosticism and i'm not a fan of any gnosticism but the kind of gnosticism that lavenda um brings to his readers and lavenda is very knowledgeable but it's kind of like the most luciferian gnosticism that the serpent in the garden that he is you know the good guy in the gnostic worldview and that he is the one who is trying to give humanity the knowledge to eat of the tree of good and evil, um, you know, which uh, from a more traditional Christian interpretation, you know, the serpent is most often associated with Satan, with the devil. And it is what, you know, gets humanity kicked out of paradise, Um if you look at, you know, the original Greek, I don't believe it says the Garden of Eden, but, you know, a more accurate uh, translation would be paradise, that man was, and this is in the Christian worldview, that man was created by the creator God, the one who created both the heavens and the earth, and that he was to dwell in paradise with his creator, and by disobeying God and eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we brought about sin, death, and decay into the world. But, you know, in this kind of a more Luciferian Gnostic interpretation of it, that's completely flipped on its head. And that is that God was, you know, trying to hold us back. And that the serpent, the, he's the light bringer. He is the one who wants us to have knowledge and, uh, yeah, in my opinion, a very, very sinister, uh, evil point of view, and uh, it's something that a lot of nut jobs and not very good people have ascribed to. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say as of yet that this is, you know, uh, Lavenda's, you know, uh, that he's saying that he believes it, but let's just read uh, another quote um, we'll actually read two or three more quotes from the God's book in the Secret Machine series and see if we can't get a little bit of a better view of what it is that Lavenda truly see, thinks. So here we go. Whatever the reason, the Gnostic worldview was sharply divided between the created world, which was considered the world of darkness and evil, and the world beyond or outside creation, a world of light where the darkness could not penetrate. Human beings were imprisoned in this world, which provides a Gnostic context for some of the Sumerian speculations of Zechariah Sitchin and other ancient astronaut theorists who put forward the idea that humans were created as a slave race to mine gold. What is compelling about the Gnostic version is the idea that all of creation is evil. The gods, the angels, the devils, the planets, the stars. It is all evil and to be transcended. The real god of the Gnostics is a god of light and is completely removed from creation and in fact had nothing to do with it in the first place. This is, in a sense, true religion. 
for it is a religion that goes far beyond the ancient alien theories, all denominational concerns, all theological hair-splitting, and all the themes we have been exploring, to arrive at a conclusion that is deeper and more profound than the cargo cult approach we have been taking so far. It is closer to the Buddhist conception that all is maya, illusion, and that even the gods are to be distrusted as mere images summoned up by consciousness. The Buddhist seeks the void in order to find enlightenment. The Gnostic seeks to escape the world of matter, and thus of all images and appearances in order to reach the light. To the Buddhist, all appearances and images are equally valid and equally unreal. The Gnostic has a similar point of view, and both would agree that all is suffering. They may point... They may put forward different reasons why this should be so, but they are in agreement that humanity is in chains. Chains, a slave that yearns towards freedom and liberation to this planet. We, um, oh, that yearns towards freedom and liberation. We feel that this concept is both literal and figurative. We feel that the stories of being foreign to this planet using its chemical elements and something of its own genetic material to create human beings has some validity in the world. It just begs a coherent explanation based on evidence. This eventually may be provided either through research into directed panspermia or in ways closer to the so-called mythic accounts. People all over the planet feel this, even if they do not give voice to the feeling the way we are doing here. What evolutionary purpose is served by this nagging sense revealed in countless spiritual, religious, and historical accounts over the millennia and from all over the world, not to mention in the world's literature, music, and art, that we don't belong here, that something is wrong with us, that death is an absurdity, and that our home is in the stars. Why did our evolutionary line survive the Great Flood if it was only to be removed even further from our point of origin, from the knowledge of our relationship to the gods? Or is this feeling, as Max Muller described it, nothing more than temporary insanity? Is this planet not really a prison, but an asylum? So, there's a lot that could be unpacked there. Um, but just once again, it's kind of Lavenda talking about Gnosticism and, uh, you know, saying that perhaps this is like the truest of religions or, or something like this, or that this is true religion. Um, so kind of sus, I'm calling all my buddies in the anti-Gnostic action front to, um, you know, prepare themselves between <laughs> for the spiritual warfare between all decent folk and weirdo gnostic luciferian promethean worshipers <laughs> but anyhow um now uh most of you guys know that uh prometheus was uh you know a figure in Greek mythology who created the human race and he stole fire from the Olympians, from the gods, in order to bring it down to humanity. And he, Prometheus, is often associated with Lucifer, the light bringer, the one who steals the light from the gods. Prometheus stole the fire from the gods in order to give man uh, knowledge, in order to, you know, uh, raise his state of being um and you know in this worldview lucifer is the one who tried to get man to eat of the uh of the tree of good and evil so that way uh man could have knowledge and prometheus 
is, you know, he would be chained to a rock in the Caucasus Mountain, you know, for his crime of stealing fire from the gods. And uh, every day an eagle would arrive and eat his liver. Makes me think of the scene from The Lighthouse. Spoiler alert, kind of late. But, you know, and every night his liver would grow back and the eagle would return in an endless series until finally the Greek hero Heraldes came and, you know, kills the eagle and liberates Prometheus. And um, Lavenda talks about how the Mary Shelley book Frankenstein um, is, has the subtitle The Modern Prometheus. And as Lavenda says, the Prometheus in question is not the monster, of course, but Dr. Victor Frankenstein who created the monster, who created life. Mary Shelley saw modern science usurping the abilities and ambitions of the ancient Greek Prometheus, assembling the bits and pieces of nerves, limbs, and muscles from an array of dead tissue and combining them to form a living creature in the likeness of man. Her novels replete with references to Darwin and to the medieval alchemists and magicians Agrippa and Paracelsus, who themselves were credited with creating homunculi, miniature human beings like automatons, formed from discarded offal and slime, overheated in glass alembics, buried in dung heaps under the celestial sun. And bear with me, folks. I know that there's a lot of me reading quotes, and hopefully that is interesting podcast. I apologize if it's not, but... I think that this is all important and kind of looking into what it is that Lavenda is trying to get at. And the next thing I'm going to read is so we've already seen Lavenda mention, uh, you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and how it's, you know, subtitled The Modern Prometheus. And in it, uh, Victor Frankenstein, the scientist who creates the monster works at Ingolstadt University, which is the same university that Adam Weishaupt, the creator of the uh, Illuminati, the actual historical Illuminati, you know, not the fake-ass one that Jay-Z and Lady Gaga run or or whatever, but the actual historical Illuminati. And, you know, he kind of you know, says how in it, you know, Frankenstein is making the new man by animating like dead matter via electricity and how this kind of parallels to, you know, how many people in the UFO community think that aliens created hybrids, part human, part alien creatures, and kind of suggest, you know, how this relates to uh, homunculi and the Jewish conception of the golem. Uh, golems and uh, you know also the creation of Adam and what have you and so here's a, a quote that's kind of you know building off of this whole Gnostic Promethean Luciferian thing in relation to the Frankenstein book but I'll just read this real quick these are modern interpretations of the oldest texts known to humanity, those concerned with war in heaven, the creation of the cosmos, the fashioning of human beings from dust and divine essences, and the abandonment of creation by a distant pantheon of all-powerful extraterrestrial beings. More important, these literary creations insist on a paradigm that the modern ufologists generally ignore, the possibility that human beings are active participants in the hybrid program. 
So many Dr. Frankensteins performing hideous experiments on human and animal subjects in order to unlock the secrets of life and to, deco and to decode the mystery of human existence. Mary Shelley combined all of these elements in her novel, the theme of Prometheus, of Adam, Darwin, and the magicians Agrippa, Paracelsus, and Albert Magnus, all in the swirl of revolutionary thought that was washed up against the walls of the University of Ingolstadt in the 18th century. Frankenstein's monster turned on its creator. Did Adam turn on God? And now I am going to read the last lengthy quote so just once again bear with me through this and i will be done with reading you know lavenda to you and you won't have to you'll just have to hear me talking about lavenda not hear lavenda's words himself so i'll just read this and then we can kind of you know uh, summarize and conclude our discussion of lavenda and kind of the uh weird uh somewhat spiritual uh idea that is being put forth in the secret machines god book christian history for the first thousand years or so was rife with political intrigue christians met in secret in cemeteries and catacombs under roman rule until constantine finally accepted christianity as the state religion in the fourth century then followed a period of warring sects and denominations and eventually the split between the eastern churches and the western churches followed by the Protestant Reformation and more splitting, and the Inquisition and the Crusades. By about the time of the Middle Ages, a kind of underground movement was taking place, formed by Catholic priests who no longer believed in the church or its teachings and who harbored a, who harbored a tremendous hatred of the institution. This manifested in what is known as the Black Mass, ceremonies designed to profane the rituals of the church and which, is, and which incorporated sexuality as one of its sacraments. This was especially true in the celebrated case of the Marquis de Montespan of 17th century France, whose naked body served as the altar in a black mass, a historical account that is verified by contemporary observers. Other types of black masses were used as occult rituals to cause death to enemies or for other purposes. This is probably as close as one can come to a revolt of human beings against the gods. For all of its theater, however, even this was nothing more than a replay of Prometheus and his revolt against Olympus. It was the ancient myth, reworked to fit a different culture and time, but the original myth nonetheless. A confused mess of sexuality, violence, spirituality, and the ever-present width of alien contact, whether as an invocation of the devil or the desperate urge to kill God and use his blood to create new life. The adductees know this story, know it in their bones. No matter how we identify or characterize their experience using psychology or religion or simply taking them at their word, the abduction is carried out by acolytes of the unknown god, the alien god, and the experience is seen through a scrim of sexual manipulation and psychic dislocation. The abductees become an altar in a new black mass as the alien forces push their way into their consciousness, impatient and insistent, using whatever sublimated or repressed material they can find buried in the memories in their memories or fantasies. And as they work in their as they work their way towards us, we work on our ways towards them. As modern Prometheus, we manipulate matter and energy, causing massive explosions, pandemics, biological clones, hulking robots vast seas of climate change, all the old dreams of the alchemist and the magicians. What has science brought us, after all, but new and better ways of achieving ancient dreams? When one wonders, will we dare to dare, 
When, one wonders, will we dare to dream new dreams? Until we do, the Earth is a hot LZ. LZ is the old Vietnam War era abbreviation for landing zone, the spot where a helicopter will land. A hot LZ is one under fire from the enemy. Aliens, gods, spirits, ghosts, they are taking their lives into their hands, landing here. Or is it part of the original plan to keep us at each other's throat? When race is not enough to separate us, it's religion. When religion is not enough, it will be economics, or access to clean water and air, or a vaccine to counteract a lethal disease. If you were intent on domination, wouldn't you want to see your enemy fragmented and fighting each other? And hasn't this internecine conflict turned global, more deadly than ever before in the history of the world? If you are wondering why the saucers haven't landed on the White House lawn, or in Tiananmen Square, or Red Square, or the Champs-Élysées, isn't it because they are waiting for us to do all the heavy lifting first? When the dust and smoke clears, when the last bodies have been burned or buried, then they will show up, and when they do it, it will go unnoticed and uncelebrated. And then there's just a little bit more that he says before the book concludes on this note. It used to be believed that it was dangerous to wake a sleepwalker. In fact, the opposite is true. It is necessary to rouse the sleepwalker gently, though the, so that he or she does not harm themselves. It is time now to awaken the sleepwalker in all of us. And it ends with the quote from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, And do you dream, said the demon. And then, that is when I closed up the book that is Secret Machines, Gods, and was just like, what the hell <laughs> did I just read? And so, um, I mean, you guys can kind of gather from it. I mean, Lavenda is very careful with his words, and he's very careful not to, you know, directly say that this is what I believe, and he kind of throws out a lot of ideas out there. But you can kind of gather, in my opinion, what it is that he is getting at and what it is that he truly believes. And I think that it's this weird kind of like Gnostic Luciferianism, but instead of the gods being, uh, you know, gods, instead of demons being demons, instead of aliens being demons, the demons, the spirits, the gods, they are aliens. And so that is what the first book is about. And I think that at the heart of it, if you can kind of sift through all the uh, other talk that is, you know, a little bit less sinister, I think at the heart of it, this is just my opinion. If you're really that interested, I suppose that you can read the book for yourself and draw your own opinion. But it's kind of this uh, Gnostic worldview that replaces the demiurge with aliens and whether or not Lavenda believes in some sort of transcendent thing that you know transcends uh, the alien gods uh, I don't know I can't say and Lavenda uh, to my knowledge hasn't let anybody in on what exactly he thinks on that front but yes I think it's this weird kind of mesh between not just Gnosticism and alien but this weird mesh between like the kind of most sinister form of Gnosticism and uh, not the ancient astronaut theory, but kind of a, 
a little bit more uh, reserved approach to the subject. And so it is all very, very, very interesting to say the least. And then, you know, here's the thing. If the gods and the demons and all these things are aliens, well, what exactly is an alien? And for that, you have to read his, you know, book, Secret Machines, Man. Because this is where we really start to delve more into not only what it means to be a person, what it is that it is, what is it that man is exactly, but it's also, you know, because, you know, it's kind of his idea that in order to, un to understand the aliens and what they are, we first must come to understand what it is that we are. And I am holding my book in my hands now. Page, page flipping ASMR for you guys. Um, but, I mean, just looking at the table of contents, um, I'll just give you an idea of uh, what exactly it is that um, the book talks about. And it's broken up into three different sections. And keep this in mind, What uh, keep in mind what we read earlier from the To The Stars Academy website about some of the things that they were venturing into that doesn't necessarily make sense how it directly relates to aliens. But there's section one, genetics and the extraterrestrial hypothesis. There's section two on consciousness. And there is section three, human-machine symbiosis. And so, in the first section, you know, it gets into, uh, you know, yeah, genetics and the extraterrestrial hypothesis and whether we are some sort of hybrid breed, whether we are kind of, uh, you know, maybe even possibly like uh, cyborgs. Because something that I think is very interesting about it is I am not convinced that aliens in Lavenda's mind and the phenomenon um, is necessarily terrestri extraterrestrial in origin, which is very interesting. I uh, definitely don't think that he discounts the uh, idea that it might be extraterrestrials, and he might even you know lean towards it being extraterrestrials, but something interesting that he mentions is how do we know that the aliens aren't uh, like you know artificial intelligence directed androids? I mean something that has always been kind of popular in UFO literature is the idea that the greys, for instance, the what most people think of when they think of an alien, like the aliens that are in the communion story, or if you watch my personal favorite alien abduction movie, Fire in the Sky, which is a fictionalized account of what Travis Walton claimed happened to him. Um, you know, the idea that the greys are um, some sort of, you know, basically drone uh they are artificially, um, an artificial intelligence robots who are like you know sent to do reconnaissance by whoever the aliens you know actually are. Maybe the Nordics. <laughs> but um, so yeah, very very interesting um, kind of hypothesis. And then there is the section two, which is about consciousness, 
where um, it talks about you know some of how put off and the remote viewing stuff and the idea of telepathy because you know in most accounts of alien abductions and stuff aliens can communicate with humans but it's not verbally through words but it's usually through images that the aliens somehow implant in their mind and it you know gets into weird discussions of quantum mechanics and whether or not you know telepathy wouldn't really be possible under you know kind of the general the theory of general relativity but maybe at the quantum mechanical level we can find some sort of explanation as to how telepathy would be possible and kind of some of the ideas of people like put off and stuff like this and how this relates to uh relates to the a whole phenomenon that's going on and um you know then there's human machine symbiosis which is the last part and i've been talking for a while so i won't get too into depth into all of that and what it actually um is being addressed there but it's all very interesting to say the least and it's just you know if my sus radar hadn't already been going off all of this stuff made my sus radar as far as to the stars academy um, is concerned and lavenda is concerned go off even more than it already had and you know one of the ideas that's kind of central to the secret machines books is the idea that you know um the stories from religions um you know is using the technology of their day to try and understand whatever the phenomenon is. And the abduction and the alien stories that we hear today, it is now trying to use our current technology to explain what exactly it is that is going on. But that we need to kind of develop a new technology. We need to develop a new worldview that, um, you know, brings the two together and where we can properly find, not even necessarily brings the two together, but how we can get into that space in the Venn diagram between the other world and our world, where the phenomenon exists, to where we can truly make sense of it. And, you know, uh, there's kind of this idea, too, that's also presented that, you know, the stuff that religion is concerned with, the stuff that the occult is concerned with, and that esoteric stuff and shamanism and all this stuff is concerned with, it's a kind of a technology that we just don't have the scientific explanation for, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, uh, it, it's spiritual and that it belongs solely to the realm of that other world. So, uh, once again, a very Gnostic kind of idea that we just don't have the, uh, the knowledge yet to understand this, but that, you know, uh, knowledge that science might one day just make sense of all this different religious stuff. And there's also other interesting stuff in it. Um, there's talk of ceremonial magic during one portion, specifically John Dee and Edward Kelly in their enochian magic you know in order to summon angels and what have you yeah maybe fallen angels dude but <laughs> um and how you know this is just possibly some sort of technology that can help you communicate with the extraterrestrials so um i'd be very curious to know if uh peter lavinda ever does ceremonial magic trying to 
contact the aliens. He claims in the books that he has never made contact with the aliens, unlike Tom DeLonge. Um, the co-author of the book, you know, because Tom DeLong, you know, I'm sure had a whole lot to do with the writing of these books. But very interesting, interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, certainly an out there view that, uh, you know, maybe religion and ceremonial magic and stuff that you can make contact with, but you're not making contact with gods or with demons or angels. But what you're making contact with is the extraterrestrials or maybe artificial intelligence or <laughs> who knows. Very, very wild ideas put forth in the books and very interesting. But now I think that, I mean, it's obvious where I'm I'm coming from as far as what is going on with the whole alien phenomenon. It's obvious that I think that a lot of this is bullshit psyops that are made to get people to think that, uh, you know, when they're seeing advanced weaponry and drones and stuff like this in the sky, uh, that they associate it with aliens instead of, you know, I don't know, the Department of Defense, the military, and, you know, that this is the CIA running cover for... Um, advanced weaponry or for other things but i mean if you look at the cia and its relationship to the alien community if i remember properly the cia to our knowledge first you know came together to discuss the issue of aliens in well ufos i should say in 1952 in the robertson panel and the Robertson panel basically concluded that there was nothing to these, you know, accounts of UFOs, but that the UFO community needed to have um, a close eye. There needed to be a close eye on the UFO community. And then that's kind of the start, in my opinion, of what ended up becoming an issue of what in the intelligence community would be called perception management. And if we can manage how people view the issue of the things that they see flying about in the skies, that um, it is better for them to think that it is aliens than it is to think that it is us, lest they figure out all the advanced things that the military and intelligence agencies have access to. And so we mentioned Mirage Men earlier but that's how you get people like Richard Doty, who are, you know, he in the Mirage Men documentary, you know, says as much as that he was lying to Paul Benowitz and that he was deliberately deceiving at the behest of, you know, his superiors in the Air Force, you know, like brigadier generals and stuff like that to convince Benowitz that, you know, no, you're not seeing anything advanced on our end. It's aliens. And Benowitz ate it right up and to the point that it drove him crazy. And I kind of wonder if perhaps Tom DeLonge is a little bit of a modern-day Paul Benowitz. He is someone who has been interested in aliens for his whole life. He is very open in that this is a long lifetime obsession for him. He can't not think of UFOs if he wanted to. He can't not think of aliens if he wanted to. And he 
is I think just having a good time being, and he doesn't know this, but being led around by the intelligence community. And he's eating right out of their hand. And he's so eager to believe. He is uh, the X-Files poster. He wants to believe. And he's so eager to believe that it's made him susceptible to these ideas. And, you know... uh, a lot of the people, like the Christopher Mellons of this story, the Luis Elizondos of this story, I personally tend to think that these guys are more sinister and that they know that all of this is bullshit and uh, that they are intentionally part of this perception management thing. Now, can I prove that for 100%? No, I can't. But in my opinion, all the evidence that we have presented in this series leads me to believe that and just the history of the cia and all these different intelligence agencies um you know historically they have been purposely and we know this in some cases purposely implanting disinformation into the alien community i believe that richard doty said that you know he gives 20 percent truth and 80 percent bullshit i mean every lie is you know best wedged in between two truths or whatever and so we know that this is a field where even if you do believe in aliens um we know that this is a field that is ripe with lies and disinformation and hoaxes and intentionally so and it's in order to do this whole perception management plan in order to get people to uh not investigate what it is that is really going on and in my opinion it's advanced weaponry cia shenanigans you know all the usual stuff and what is particularly effective about um to the stars academy as a form of perception management is there is there's always been lies and bullshit in the you know alien community the ufo community But with To The Stars Academy, there used to be in the alien community, I think, more of a sense of distrust in the authorities now. But now, you know, people are eager to believe people like Luis Elizondo. They're eager to believe, just like how Tom DeLonge is eager to believe all these DOD guys, all these CIA guys, and they're eating right out of their hands. Where, I mean, used to, people who believed in aliens, they at least had enough common sense about them to be like, you are the guys who've been hiding this shit from us all along. You are the guys who, you know, aren't participating in disclosure. You are the ones who think that we are too stupid to have this information. And, you know, Tom DeLong, I mean, he's said himself on Joe Rogan and all kinds of other podcasts and radio shows and documentaries and what have you, that he thinks... That, you know, I mean, once he got into contact with all these intelligence officials, that he he was telling them, I understand why you're doing what you're doing. I would do the same thing. And it's not only, you know, convincing people that, you know, this is an advanced, you know, weaponry and advanced, you know, technology that the UFO phenomenon is, uh, that alien phenomenon is hiding. But it is also um, that it's like pro-government. It's like trust the military, trust the CIA, 
which we, everyone who's listening to this, you wouldn't be able to have gone this far into any one of my podcasts if you think that you can trust the military or that you can trust the CIA for anything. These are groups and people that we should always, always, always be skeptical of it. And even if you think that something that they are saying in a particular instance is true, the question isn't, you know, oh, like, can I trust this person because they're telling me the truth? No, the question is, why, when they're telling the truth, are they telling the truth? But I think a lot of this is not telling the truth. I think a lot of it is just complete bullshit. And I also, just while we are talking about, uh, you know, kind of my summary of this series and the conclusions that I have personally drawn, another thing that I think is interesting is that throughout the course of Lavinda's books, um, the Secret Machines books, he throws out the idea a couple times out there that maybe something with the abduction phenomenon has to do with MK Ultra, or maybe, you know, uh, this is all just intelligence agents. But he never really stays on that angle, like literally for more than like a paragraph, which is very interesting when you consider a lot of the stuff that's in like the Sinister Forces series, specifically book three, which, you know, delves deeply into this, where he seems to be a little bit more upfront than he is in these secret machine books. Um, so, I mean, and then the, the, the one thing that I'll say is, I mean, if you're not a spiritual person, I mean, you're not going to buy, buy into this, but perhaps you are, you know, a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew, and uh, you'll be able to kind of see eye to eye with me on this subject, because, I mean, I am personally a Christian, and I, uh, I think that, you know, the demonic realm is real i mean that that's a whole can of worms that we're opening and i don't have the time to delve as deep into it as i would necessarily like to right now because i've been talking for two hours and um you know it's uh harder to think to talk for this long than um but anyhow um something that i think is interesting is that you know, he, Lavinda goes through just about every possible scenario as to what the aliens could be, what the phenomenon itself could be, even aside from aliens. But there's only one thing that he just kind of just dismisses out of hand and never treats with any seriousness. And that is the idea that, you know, aliens are perhaps demons. Um, and that perhaps that this is some sort of demonic or spiritual thing that people are encountering. And it's very interesting, you know, because, I mean, if you're willing to jump on board that, uh, or not even jump on board, if you're willing to entertain the idea that perhaps all the religions of the world are trying to explain with the technology of their day, uh, through myth and through story what's going on with the phenomenon or with aliens or whatever it is how come you wouldn't be willing to entertain the inverse of that idea how come the only time it's ever brought up it's just like yeah i mean he doesn't say this but you know i mean it, you almost feel like he's just like i mean yeah like and like when i literally say like it's maybe brought up two times in the whole series and it's always kind of in the like, yeah, there's some people who think it's like, you know, demons, but like basically they're morons and like we can't believe them. One of, one of the two or three times 
that it's mentioned, it's in the context of uh, how during Project, you know, Stargate, you know, that the guy thought that all this, you know, uh, psychic telepathy business was demonic and like basically what a moron. Um, you know what I mean? But I mean, is that really that much more far-fetched or that much more moronic than the idea that, you know, I don't know, aliens are abducted, extraterrestrials are abducting people and communicating with them through telepathy? I mean, I'm not even shitting on anybody who who believes that. I understand the allure of the idea. I understand that it makes the world an interesting place <laughs> when that's what you believe. But is that... Is that any crazier than the idea that it could be demons or the idea that it could be jinn or any of this? Like, in my opinion, not at all. Like, I mean, obviously one makes more sense to me, but I also am coming into it with different presuppositions than, than some people are. But even if I didn't have the presuppositions I've had, because I haven't always been, uh, you know, religious, I am... Um, Unfortunately, I had an atheist phase for a while. I feel goofy about that now. Like, read Richard Dawkins when I was like 15 and thought I was Mr. Smarty Pants. Um, you know. Um, but then after that, you know, I, 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 I tried out a whole bunch of different types of beliefs, you know, trying to see which shoe fits me. And, you know, eventually I came back to Christianity, not the type of Christianity I was raised with, you know, different kind. But, you know, I eventually kind of came back to the idea of, you know, I started believing in some sort of kind of God that I couldn't put a finger on or whatever. And eventually just Christianity began to make sense to me. And um, honestly, the one of the ways that I came through it is, you know, looking through a lot of these uh, the occult shenanigans and stuff like that. And like, you know, it kind of gave me uh, the the impression that maybe I should start entertaining this idea again. And then eventually, you know, it worked for me. But I don't know, just very, uh, for as open-minded as Lavenda is on so many things, it's very interesting just how dismissive it is of a completely um, spiritual, or not even spiritual, but a, not, not spiritual, that's the wrong word how you know closed off he is to the idea of a religious specifically kind of like an abrahamic view of what might be going on with the phenomenon but anyways i think that's going to be it for me i hope that you guys enjoyed this series i had fun researching it and i had fun recording it and i've just had fun every step of the way so hopefully you guys have too if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, that is Thing Observer. So Twitter.com, Thing Observer. That's my username. You can see me post stuff to Twitter. You can see threads where sometimes I talk about the stuff that I talk about in the podcast. And you can get pictures. And maybe I'll release another juicy tidbit or two that I maybe forgot to mention on here. Plus, you can see the other things that I post. Um, just see what it is that I'm up to. Also, it's a good way to know when I'm posting. Um, if you guys haven't quit listening already, um, and if you guys have been enjoying the series, I would encourage you to leave a review on whatever podcast app it is. Just give me, you know, some stars or whatever, just so that way, uh, I look like less of a fucking dork with, you know, 
I got the thing now where it like doesn't even have my rating on there because there's no stars making me feel like some peon in the podcast game when we all know that this is the most popular podcast in the world, you know. We've already, you know, surpassed Joe Rogan, so I don't know why you guys aren't leaving reviews. Um, but anyhow, I'm just joking with y'all. But love you all. It's been a blast. Stay tuned. Maybe we'll talk about Whitley Strieber next time. We'll talk about something interesting. And yeah, it's been awesome. Love you guys. Take care. Have a blessed day. Talk to y'all soon. Oh